Welcome. You're about to hear an inspirational message by David Entry. May your faith increase and your heart be stirred towards God as you listen to this life-transforming message. Press subscribe so you're the first to know when the messages are released. Blessed are your ears for the things they hear. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians is divided into two sections. Ephesians has six chapters. First three chapters are about doctrine. Second three chapters are about duty. First three chapters are about what God has done for us. The last three chapters are about what we are supposed to be doing. First three chapters is salvation worked in. Next three chapters is salvation worked out. The first three chapters is about the accomplishment and attainment of Christ. The next three chapters is what we have to do with the accomplishment of Christ. So when he was about to start the first three chapters, because he was coming to address the things that Christ has done for us, the things that God has done for us, he's going to talk about doctrine. Salvation has been worked, excuse me, worked into us. You know how he introduces himself. He said, Paul, an apostle. An apostle is a spokesman of Christ with the authority to speak as though Christ has spoken. So when he was coming to introduce the doctrines, the things that have to be done, or that has been done by Christ, what Christ has done for us, what God has attained for us, he introduces himself as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But when he came, he was now coming to tell us what we are supposed to do. Chapter 4, verse 1. He introduces himself as Paul, what? A prisoner of Christ. In other words, I'm doing the work. That's why I can tell you what to do. Now, from 4, he began to talk, talk to us about Christian behavior, Christian duty. So he starts from the church. <coughs> he starts from how we should relate to one another. How we have one God, one Father, one one. And then he says that for God has placed in the church apostles. So when he went high on high, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the church. That we all come to the unity of faith, grow to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Not being to children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning craftiness that wherein they lie and wait to deceive. By being knit together, we may grow up. The body grow up by what every joint supplies. So he began to talk about Christian life in church, Christian life in church. So chapter 4. Then he continues talking in chapter 4. We were like the worldly people, but now we are no more like the worldly people. We should be renewed in the spirit of our minds in verse 24, somewhere there. Then he says, don't give the devil a full stone. Then he goes on to talk about how don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Those who still shouldn't still no more, but work with their hands to have some to give to those who don't. Then it goes into chapter five. Then begin to talk about put away pollution and all kinds of things out of your mouth. Then it says that we should, as barely children of Christ, we should behave like God. You can't behave like God if you are not a child of God. So he began to talk to us. We should behave like God. And then he continues in church relationships. Then he talks to elders, he talks to pastors. 
He talks to um, sisters and brothers, how we should treat sisters, how we should treat brothers, how we should, all in church. Then right after that, he goes into relationships of family. Then he goes into husband, treat your wife like this. Wives, treat your husband like this. Then when he finishes that, he goes to chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. He begins to talk to children. Then after children and parents and parents and children, he goes to bosses and employers. All slaves and servants. So he covers how we should behave as Christians. If you, are, if you are a student, how you should behave like somebody in your authority outside. How you should behave. So he starts with the church. Then he goes to family behavior. Then he goes to external behavior. How you should even treat government. Then when he finish, he comes to how we should deal with demons. Put on the full armor of Christ. That you'll be able to withhold stand in the day of the, you know, then talk about the armor of Christ. Then he finishes in chapter six. So all throughout from chapter four is about how you behave, how you behave. But from chapter one, it talks about how Christ has died for us, or how God loved us, and Christ died for us, and the Holy Spirit has sealed us, and he said, I'm praying for you, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you will know the things that Christ has done for us, how, and the power that is working in us, which power raised Christ from the dead, verse 19, 119, and seated him far above principalities, powers in heavenly places, and gave him to be the head over the church. Then he continued, who is the head of in everything. Then he goes to chapter two, and you who were dead in your trespasses has he uh, quickened as he made our life with Christ Jesus. Even though we're dead in sins, he has quickened us for by grace are we saved. He says, not counting our trespasses against us for we were we, we were children of wrath, children of disobedience like others. So he begins to talk doctrine, what Christ has done for us. Then he continues, that's in chapter 2, he begins to continue how we, we are we have visited in Christ in heavenly places. Who, verse 11 somewhere, they said we used to be Aliens, but now we are fellow citizens. Verse 19 talks about uh, we all have access. Then, no, sorry, verse 15, 14 talks about 14, 15. He has removed the enmity. He has created the one new man. Right? He's made us one new man. Both of us, Jews and Gentiles, we are one. And we both have access by one spirit to the Father. For we are fellow citizens and household of the members of God's household. Verse 19. And he said, we are all part of the house. Holy, we are all being built on the foundation of the apostles, verse 20, of the apostles of, and prophets. And then we are a holy house that build, is, being, is growing. The church is the only house that grows. Houses don't grow. But the, the church is a house that is growing. Yeah, it's growing to a holy temple. And then he finishes chapter 2 around the early 20s. Then he goes to chapter 3. Then he starts... He wanted to start something in chapter 3, but he couldn't start it. Because if you look at chapter 3, the introduction, he said, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. Is that right? But 4, chapter 4, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. So he was about to start a subject about our behavior and duty in chapter 3, but he couldn't. Because there were unresolved things that he had to tackle. So chapter 3, he said, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, if you have heard about the... Dis Are you familiar with that word, dispensation? Yes. Verse 2, is it there? Administration, is it there? Dispensation, administration, the economy, it's called economy. So if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. So he was actually going to make an appeal for us to behave in a certain way. But he was forced to say, listen, 
if you really, if you're a man of God, and you know, if you indeed know, is that if indeed you have heard of the this administration of God, of the grace of God. So my job is to administer the grace of God. <laughs> but it has been given to me for you. You will never get anointed for yourself. You are anointed for people. So the more you can stand people, the more God will use you. <laughs> Why should you be employed as a sales agent when you don't like interactions? Why would you why should you be put at the tail to be interacting with people when you, you easily so the more you don't like people, the more God can use you. If you have heard about the dispensation of God, the grace of God given to me. So like I said this one day I was preaching on TV. This is years ago, about ten years ago, no more than that, about twelve years ago. And I said this that you know, pastors easily can be hurt. Sometimes pastors get so hurt, they are not interested in church members. But unfortunately, your your value, the value, the the validity of your calling has to do with them. So the more Satan discourages you, you don't want to see them. The more you are losing relevance. So because what is on you as a pastor, the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to who? So now, if it has been given to you, if God wants to give it to this you, He'll bring it to the me. So that the man can give it to the you. Now, if this me doesn't want to have dealings with this you, then God will have to find another me. So if you have heard about the dispensation of the grace of God given to me for you, then he digresses. He, he was forced to talk a bit about it. He said, how that by revelation he made known to me, ah, oh, some of you, the thing is coming again, but you didn't realize that's where I was going. How that by revelation, God made known to me the mystery, which as I have briefly written already. I've mentioned it already in the, the previous chapter. But he was forced to start talking about it again. Because he said, if you have heard about the revelation of God, how that by revelation, the mystery of God given to me for you, how, how no, no, go back. Let's try. How that by revelation, he made known to me the mystery. You remember this? You remember this? The mystery. God showed me. He let me know the mystery. And how, he said, if you read the things I've written about, you actually know that I know some mysteries. Like I can tell you now, that if you consider the things I've been teaching from yesterday, a pastor knows about the mysteries. So that's what Paul was trying to say. He said, if you consider the things I've written, I know about some mystery. It has been given to me for you. By which, if you read, you understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Did you see the mystery of Christ? I showed you in Colossians 2, to the mystery of God. But here it says, the mystery of Christ. When you read, you begin to understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul knew something. He had insight about this mystery of Christ because it was given to him not by teaching, not by education, but by revelation. So sometimes when someone has been given something by revelation, when they are teaching, you're wondering, but how do you know all these things? Because it's given to you by revelation. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known to son of God. Are you following this mystery thing? Have you noticed that he has stopped? He's not focusing on the mystery matter. Yeah. We are 
in verse 5. And he, he started by showing that Paul, a prisoner of Christ. A prisoner, he was going to talk about duty. But he was forced to begin to speak about, if you have heard about the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, by which you understand, if you see the, no, which was given to me, not by member, by revelation of God, to be able to understand the mystery of Christ, by which you understand the things I've written. If you read, you understand my knowledge in the mystery, which in other ages was not made, was not made known to the sons of men. Men didn't know these things. Why? Because it was hidden God. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets. Previously, people couldn't know it because it's hidden in God. There are things that God hid in Himself. And that what God hid in Himself is the mystery of God and the mystery of Christ. God let them know a lot, but the hidden mystery is about Christ and the church. The, the mystery of God is Christ, and the mystery of Christ is the church. The mystery of God, let me just throw a little bit light on it. When Christ came, he was walking, and it was a bit confusing. That's why they said, but you, we know your father. How can you say you are, <coughs> how can you say you are the bread from heaven? <coughs> we saw when you were born. We saw when you grew up. How can you tell us you are the bread from heaven? That's very mysterious. And yet he was. So Christ was at the embodiment of God on earth. And you can't look at him and just say that that's God. It was a mystery. So he was the mystery of God. He was the full expression of God in the flesh. The word became. The word became. But the thing, I, I always want to stress this over and over. It was hidden from the sons of men. Otherwise, human beings couldn't discover it. No, I made a statement this afternoon quite, um, it makes sense. I said, you haven't been able to even finish exploring the sea. You haven't finished exploring the skies, and yet you think you can explore the one who made it. You are not smart. You are not smart. And he also has decided, even people he has revealed himself to, from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis to the time of Jesus and even after Jesus, he decided to hide some things himself so no one knew. So that's why nobody ever thought, okay, let me digress and show you something, Ephesians chapter 2, verse, sorry, chapter, oh, we are in chapter 3 already. Um, all right, let, let me jump ahead and show you. Look at verse 10. Let's already allow. To the intent, the way it starts, so but I want to leave it. I don't want to go back because I'm coming there already. But look at this. The man, say the manifold. the manifold. Do you know what manifold means? It's like a diamond. The face of a diamond has many different faces. Everywhere you turn, it can shine. Everywhere you turn it, it could be glittering. Everywhere. It's not like only like a mirror does. So the manifold wisdom of God is, is so many-sided. The wisdom of God is not just straightforward. It's very complex. It has many sides. Another word for manifold is multifarious. Another word for eh? a multiface. Another word for manifold is 
multifaceted. How many of you have heard that word before? Yeah. That diamond is multifaceted. So he has different faces, and all the faces are powerful. So the manifold, watch this. Not that God's faces, so the wisdom of God has different faces. To the intent that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known how? Uh, you haven't got it. God wanted to display how wise he is. He said, No, how, to, I, want, how I want to display my wisdom. I'm going to form a church. So, angels, principalities, and powers, talking about angels in heavenly places, they look at the church, they say, Wow. They are wondering, but how did God, how was God able to do this? He bring a combination of sinful people who are sinful flesh and bring them together and they are a holy group. When they are together, they are so holy. And just look at it and say, wow. They said, they said, God, we didn't see this coming. How did you manage to get this? Sinful people and yet you have put yourself in them. You are a holy person and you have put yourself in them and they are still, they still have some sins but their sins are not touching you and they are still holy in your sight. The manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God is made manifested by the church to the principalities and powers. They look at it, they are clapping. Wow! They look at the church. And you sit somewhere and attack the church? Because you are not happy with somebody. Hallelujah. How about 2.10? Ephesians 2.10. Hey! Do you know what this means? Uh, try another translation. Let's see if it will use a different word. Michael Angelo's masterpiece. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's not his creation. Huh? All the things he did, his masterpiece is this is the ultimate. This is the best. And you see, for we are God's master. So you want to travel to Niagara Falls to go and look at the nice things of God. He said the church is his masterpiece. All those who are trying to save the world, the nature. It's good. But there's something better than nature. It's called the church. How can an unbeliever appreciate what I just said? He said, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? You don't understand it. They are having people in the church who are unbelievers. They will do everything in the name of mother nature. Because let's keep everything. Sometimes it may be good, but sometimes it's taken too far. Mother nature. Some people go and sit on the mountain. Somebody was telling me about Iceland, the green skies. People travel to go and watch. Oh, wow. Eclipse of the moon. Wow. Eclipse of the sun. Wow. The lo- lo- huh? <laughs> There are a lot of nature, nice things that you look and it's like, wow. Bible says that all those things are the works of God. But the masterpiece is the church. 
God created Adam and Eve, and after that, he stopped creation. On the sixth day, God created man. He rested the seventh day. Did he create anything again? No. Until Christ resurrected from the dead, and then he started creation again. Created us. He created the church. That's why the church is the masterpiece of God. After all creation, the last thing he created again is the church. After six days of creation, he rested for a long time. The next time he came back to create was when the church was born. So day one, he created something. Day two, he created something. Day three, he created something. Day four, he created something. Day five, he created something. And day six, he created man. And what did he do on day seven? He rested, he rested, he rested. And day eight, he got up to create again. And when he got up to create again, what did he create? That's why the church worships on the eighth day. The church was born on a Sunday. So technically, Jesus resurrected on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week. That's why the early church worshipped the first day of the week. They were Jews. Jews who worship on Saturday. Why did they the first day of the week? John, Matthew 28, 1. John chapter 21. The first day of the week. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. The first day of the week. So the eighth day is the first day of the second week. I'll say that again. Eighth day is the first day of the second week. Seventh day is the last day of the first week. So on the eight, day number eight, we have started another week. So the eighth day is the day God created the church. Seventh day, he rested. So from the time he created Adam, he started resting. He rested and rested and rested and rested. Oh, it's still one day. And then Jesus resurrected from the dead and God created. Give us the New King James, please. We are the we are his work. We we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we have been created in Christ Jesus. Created. It's a new creation. If any man be in Christ. He's a new creation. <laughs> That's second Corinthians five seventeen. All right, let me finish. On Ephesians chapter 3. Let's go back to Ephesians. This one just came in to just let you know that the church is not a small thing. You should count yourself. Your biggest privilege in life is to be part of the church. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So there were things that in other ages God didn't reveal. Excuse me. If God chooses not to reveal something, how can you decide I'm going to get it? You know, there are things, <laughs> some of you, there are things in your life you have never told anybody. And you have determined you, have never, you will never speak about it. There are <laughs> now, nobody was there to see it and nobody knew it and you have determined you will go to your grace with it. Even you, when you decide not to speak about some things, no one will get to know. How much more God, who decides to hide something himself? He said, it was in ages, it wasn't made known to the sons of men. The next verse. What, what is he talking about? 
the mystery of Christ. Go to verse 5 again. It, in, in other ages, it was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God to the holy apostles and prophets. Uh-huh. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, this is a big thing. You know, Jews can, are not supposed to mingle with Gentiles. If you're a Jew, you can't, you can't go and sit down. So if you're a Gentile and you begin to practice Judaism, this is the way we have the curtains here. Yeah, you have to sit at the back. There's a wall. There's a wall, small wall that's depend. So you sit there. You can't come in because you are not a Jew. So the, that the Gentiles should be fellow. I mean, Christians, uh, Jews cannot fellowship with Gentiles. No. You know, there's a time they said that he entered, uh, in fact, Peter. They called him in Acts chapter 10. Sorry, Acts chapter 11. They reported him. They blew the whistle in Jerusalem that Peter has gone to the house of Gentiles. Those of the circumcision contended with Peter. They were challenging him. Why? Go to the next verse. <laughs> Say, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. How can you a Jew? And you are now the Holy Spirit is in you. You go to uncircumcised people who are Gentiles. You know what it means, circumcision. Yeah. Now, those days, if you are a seed of Abraham, as soon as you are born and you are male, on the eighth days, on the eighth day, they have to circumcise you. It's a sign of that. You are now in the covenant, Abrahamic covenant. So it wasn't just fashion. It is a sign that you are in the covenant. So then you can carry, the, if you are a male, you can carry the seed of Abraham through you. So every male child in the line of Abraham from generation up to now must be circumcised on the eighth day. It was just a, uh, it was part of the law of God for Abraham, the covenant of God with Abraham. <coughs> so as soon as you are circumcised, that means that you are now in the covenant with God because circumcision means blood will flow. There must be a cutting of blood. The Greek, the Greek, the Greek word for covenant is berith. Berith is incision. It's like to cut. So you, there can't be a covenant without blood flow. That's why when you sleep with a woman and she's a virgin, there'll be a blood flow. Because sex is a covenant. It's not just for enjoyment. It's a covenant. That's why you have to sign an agreement. You have to make a lifetime commitment before you start having sex with somebody. Because it's a covenant. And covenant means that it's not a contract. There's a difference between a contract and a covenant. Covenant means that I am there for you until my last breath. You are there for me too. That's covenant. Anyone who attacks you has attacked me. And anyone who attacks me has to attack you. So we are in a covenant. So when God, for God to be in a covenant with you, it's a, such a privilege thing. Because he says that anyone who touches you has touched me. Anyone who touches me has touched you. And there cannot be, watch this, there can never be covenant without blood. That's that. That's why the New Testament had to be sealed with blood. The blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, but that by the means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So he is the mediator. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. The one who ever did the will, the will cannot be activated until he dies. 
So Jesus had to die to activate the will and then to raise, rise from the dead to come and enforce the will in your life. So Satan can't change the will. Because he did it, he's alive to see it. But verse 14 says that he offered himself by the eternal spirit. How much more shall the blood of Christ, you see, who through the eternal spirit offers himself without spawn to God to cleanse us from our, from our, our conscience from dead work to serve the living God. So it's a covenant. Blood was shed. Jesus' blood was to activate the covenant, the new covenant. And he's the mediator of the new covenant. God bless you for listening to this message. To hear more from David Entry, follow him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and visit www.caris.org for videos and upcoming events. Remember, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer.